I've been saying for a long time, let Obamacare fail, and then everybody's going to have to come together and fix it. Actually, you've been saying the opposite. So maybe that's what you mean by saying it for a long time. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, Radio Sputnik, and other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and on the intertubes. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me... From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, well, coming up, if all else fails, Desi Doyen in the Green News Report will be here. So we've got that <laughs> to look forward to, at least. Well, I'm glad we're something that that can be looked forward to. But actually, I should say, if time allows. Oh, okay. If time allows, <laughs> we will have Desi Doyen in the Green News Report today. Yes, it is one of those days. Uh, man, okay, let's start here uh, in a tweet from Donald Trump. On February 9th of 2016, he promised in his tweet, we will immediately repeal and replace Obamacare, and nobody can do that like me. <laughs> we will save monies and have much better health care, he said back in February of 2016. Uh, yeah, well, silly Donald it's almost as if he was making stuff up on Twitter that he, he didn't actually know anything about back then <laughs> when he was talking about uh, nobody being able to do that like him. I guess by nobody being able to do it like him, he means nobody being able to do it at all, at least uh, on the Republican side. Um, but, you know, after he has since realized, of course, who knew that health care was so complicated well, apparently everybody did. Everybody but Donald Trump, apparently. And based on his tweets today, he doesn't seem to give much of a damn about providing better health care as he had promised back in that uh, February 2016 tweet. Uh, in fact, now he seems to be happy to provide no health care at all to millions of people who have already met federal requirements, have already signed up and paid for coverage. He's just happy to let them die, essentially. Uh, he tweeted today, As I have always said, let Obamacare fail and then come together and do a great health care plan. Stay tuned. 
course, he he didn't always say that uh, as that uh, tweet from more than two years ago. No, a year and a half ago now uh, seems to uh, suggest. And in fact, when word of just voting to uh, repeal Obamacare and and uh, delay uh, a, a replacement for it for two years. When that had come up initially earlier this year, he said, no, 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 we have to repeal and replace. But today he's saying, well, he's rewriting history uh, to say he was always in favor of letting it fail. You know, and it's weird. It's 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 all on tape. So, of course, we can go back and find it's all, all these tape, things. It's on Twitter. Tweets, but it, it's but I'm, that's yeah. Uh, as as Charles Blow, uh, author and New York Times columnist, responded to that tweet today about, uh, as I have always said, uh, he said, uh, uh, Charles Blow wrote, always said, you lie with the ease of breathing. Mm. Hashtag pathological, he added. Well, listen, if you just arrived from another planet this year, and you may have, and you saw that Republicans were in charge of the House and the Senate and the White House, you would be mystified as to why they can't seem to pass any bill that reflects their professed political values and interests. The reason, of course, is that their values and interests have absolutely nothing to do with governing and they have everything to do with getting elected. That's why they're having all of these problems. Now that they've been elected, they actually have no idea what to do. They have no idea how to govern because their ideas, in truth, don't actually work when it comes to governing. You can lie about policy when you're running for office, but lying about policy when you're actually trying to pass and institute policy and that policy that you've been lying about will have serious, seriously harmful effects on millions of people, well, then it's a different matter altogether. And that's where we are with this Republican policy and this Republican Party, really, at this point. And it's not just on health care or their years uh, of promising to repeal and replace what they describe as the disastrous Obamacare, which, say what you like about it, it has helped some 30 million people obtain access to health care where they would have not had such access prior to the passage of Obamacare. If you listen to this show, you know I would much rather see a, a single-payer system, but that's not what we're talking about right now. That's not what we're talking about at the federal level. We're talking about the fact that millions of people have had access to health care thanks to the Affordable Care Act, and they would have lost it had it uh, had had the Republicans been able to repeal it as they have been desperately trying to do. And that's not the only place that uh, Trump and the Republicans have utterly failed as of right now. But let's start there today as a, a lot has happened. I think that's an understatement, but a lot <laughs> has happened in the 24 hours since we last covered this issue on the broadcast in detail Yesterday, So let's start. Uh, the New York Times uh, describes it as Plan C having now collapsed for the Republicans. I guess Plan A being their uh, initial plan in the Senate to repeal and replace uh, Obamacare. Plan B being their new plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. And then Plan C today, uh, their plan to just vote on repeal, repeal and delay, as it's been called. New York Times says with their bill to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act in tatters today, Senate leaders pushed to vote on a different measure that would repeal major parts of President Barack Obama's health law without a replacement. But that plan appeared also to collapse today. 
Senators Susan Collins of Maine, Shelley Moore Capito of, uh, of West Virginia, and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, all Republicans, immediately declared they could not vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act without a replacement. And that, those three senators, uh, Republican senators, were enough to doom the effort before it could get any momentum. Senator Capito said, uh, I did not come to Washington to hurt people. Oh, good for her. her statement. I cannot vote to repeal Obamacare without a replacement plan that addresses my concerns and the needs of West Virginians. Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, by the way, also hinted strongly that he, too, would oppose such a vote. The stunning collapse of the Senate Republican health bill on Monday night. Shortly after we got off air on Monday night and the failing struggle to find yet another alternative highlighted a harsh reality for Senate Republicans. While Republican senators freely assailed the health law while Mr. Obama occupied the White House, they have so far not been able to come up with a workable plan to unwind it that would keep both moderate Republicans and conservatives on board. According to The New York Times. Now, this isn't a matter of Democrats failing to step up here or being obstructionists or something. This is Republicans failing all on their own. They own this historic failure. But not as you might hear Donald Trump say it. By midday today in this very quickly moving story, um, the Republican Party's seven year old promise now to repeal the Affordable Care Act appeared broken at the White House. President Trump said his plan was now to let Obamacare fail. That's what he was saying all along, he says, and he wasn't, suggesting that Democrats would then seek out Republicans to work together on a health measure after Obamacare failed. And I think you'll also uh, agree that I've been saying for a long time, let Obamacare fail and then everybody's going to have to come together and fix it. No, and, I don't uh, agree. Come up with a new plan and a plan that's really good for the people with much lower premiums, much lower costs, and much better protection. Sure, I've luck. been saying that, Mike, I think you'll agree for a long time. Let Obamacare fail, it'll be a lot easier. And I think we're probably in that position where we'll just let Obamacare fail. Uh, we're not going to own it. I'm not going to own it. I can tell you the Republicans are not going to own it. You own it. We'll let Obamacare fail, and then the Democrats are going to come to us, and they're going to say, how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Or how do we come up with a new plan? So we'll see what happens. There's some other things going on right now as we speak. But I am disappointed because for so many years I've been hearing repeal and replace. I'm sitting in the Oval Office right next door, pen in hand, waiting to sign something. And I'll be waiting. And eventually we're going to get something done. And it's going to be very good. But Obamacare is a big failure. And it has to be changed. We have to go to a plan that works. We have to go to a much less expensive plan plan in terms of premiums. And something will happen and it'll be very good. Something will happen. <laughs> and by the way, it'll be very good. He'll be sitting with his pen in hand waiting to sign something in the Oval Office. He has no clue how healthcare works. He has no clue how this policy works. He he spent no time uh, working with his own party in uh, in either the House or the Senate on this, and now he's willing to just uh, basically you know let people go without healthcare if necessary. Let people die. That'll teach those dastardly Democrats a a, a lesson, uh, you know, without hurting Republicans at all. Just let them die. That won't that won't matter. 
Man, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, the majority leader, game, gamely pressed forward on Tuesday, even as the ground was giving way beneath him, the Times wrote. He said, I regret that the effort to repeal and immediately replace the failures of Obamacare will not be successful. That doesn't mean we should give up. We will now try a different way to bring the American people relief from Obamacare. I think we owe them at least that much. Now, by relief from Obamacare, I guess he means relief from, you know, 30 million more Americans with a chance for access to health care at all and the lowest increase in the cost of health care since we began tracking that sort of thing after World War II. But, you know, relief from Obamacare. On Monday night, as I noted, shortly after we went off air, uh, Republican, two Republican senators, Mike Lee of Utah, Jerry Moran of Kansas, came out opposing, I guess, what would be Plan B that they were supposed to vote for this vote on this week, leaving Republicans uh, two votes short of the number needed to begin debate on the measure in the Senate. As we detailed yesterday to uh, other Republicans, Senator uh, Collins of Maine and Rand Paul of Kentucky had said they were against it late last week. And so with those two additional, that was it. That plan was was done for. Um, Speaking on uh, the Senate floor on Tuesday, McConnell laid out plans for a vote on a measure like the one that was vetoed by President Obama back in 2016. I think they passed it in late 2015 that would uh, include a repeal of Obamacare combined with a two year transition period. That's what they were going to plan uh, going to vote on today once the other thing collapsed. And uh, under that bill, according to the CBO, this is the bill they, they, they wanted to actually pass today in its place, in the, in the place of the, the second shot at repeal and replace. That's the one where they had all the negotiations with uh, trying to give away some money to see if they could attract some uh, mid some centrist. But the one that they wanted that was to... B. Right. The repeal and delay plan that they passed when they knew that it would be vetoed by President Obama, that was in late 2015... That bill, that was the one they wanted to try to do essentially today. Well, the CBO, the Nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, said when they passed that bill back in 2015 that 18 more, 18 million more people would be uninsured within a year of passage of that bill. 32, 32 million fewer people would have coverage in 2026 compared with the current law. And they said that premiums would increase at least 20% in the first year and would double by 2026. That was the one they wanted to do today. That, thanks to the uh, to the three women uh, senators, Republican senators, um, who said, no, we ain't going for that. Uh, thanks to them, that one appears to be stopped by now. Um, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska said uh, that there is there's enough chaos and uncertainty already, and this would just contribute to it. She said, referring to those to those numbers from the CBO score of that 2015 2016 bill. Um, And it also spooked a a bipartisan group of 11 governors led by John Kasich, Republican of Ohio, John Hickenlooper, Democrat of Colorado, Brian Sandoval, Republican of Nevada. They were all against these repeal efforts. 
Republican leaders in Congress originally intended to proceed with a similar uh, repeal and delay strategy back in January, the New York Times notes, but Donald Trump insisted that the repeal and replacement law replacement of the law be simultaneous, that it happened at the same time. So it was Trump's own strategy here that seems to have failed. But of course, he doesn't own any failures. He just passes that on to others. The sign on his desk reads the buck stops anywhere but here, apparently. (laughs) And that's what he was uh, trying to lie about in his uh, statement from the White House that we just played today. So this is. um, Yeah. The Republicans, uh, the Republicans own this, and uh, it's, it's, you know, it's it's amazing that Donald Trump even tries to pretend he does not, but that is what he does, um, and that's where we are, and that's where we are. And if you look at it, and like I say, if you're from that other planet, and you look at this, you would say, what the hell is going on? How can it be that these people have not been able to? They own the White House, they own the Senate, they own the. The uh, House of Representatives, yet they can't get anything done. Why? Well, maybe one reason is because they have been lying about this thing in the first place. They always have been. Even John McCain here, uh, he issued a statement after the repeal and replace bill was killed late last night. Um, and his first line, and remember, he's the re- the respected John McCain. Um, even he uh, started out with a lie. In his statement, he, he said one of the major problems with Obamacare was that it was written on a strict party line basis and driven through Congress without a single Republican vote. Well, eventually it did go through without a single Republican vote, but it was not written on a party line basis. And as they met with Republicans, actually, the bill itself, Obamacare itself, was based on an idea from the Heritage Foundation, the right wing think tank. This was Romney. Mitt Romney uh, put this in place in Massachusetts. This was a Republican plan. And when it was in the House and the Senate, they spent a lot of time dealing with Republicans and taking their ideas and adding it, taking their amendments, holding hearings, having amendments and everything else. And they took a lot of these Republican uh, amendments and ideas and added it to the bill. So for, for McCain to say it was written on a strict party line basis, that is just a lie. This entire enterprise has been built on lies from top to bottom. McCain then went on to say, um, you know, Congress must return now to regular order, hold hearings, receive input from members of both parties, heed recommendations of governors, produce a bill that provides Americans with access to quality and affordable health care. He is absolutely right on that. Too bad he started it all with a lie. So the utter dishonesty in this entire enterprise virtually assures, frankly, that this will probably, I don't know, never happen. You know, I don't want to don't take your guard down. You would not be wise to rest easy here if you're uh, uh, underestimating the opponents of Obamacare here. Um, I've advised a few weeks ago when everybody was celebrating the first time the Senate bill failed. No, this is coming back. This is like a a zombie. Yeah, it's Uh, the zombie bill that never goes away. They need to figure out how to do it. But, uh, you know, when it's built on lying, it's hard to make any sense of it. I mean, it's hard to actually pass policy. So uh, and by the way, one of the things that started to uh, lead to this bill crumbling on Monday night was when Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, found out that Mitch McConnell 
had been telling people different things behind the scenes. Uh, he was uh, Johnson says he was concerned uh, about the repeal of Medicaid in I think they moved it back to 2021 or 2026 or something like that. But McConnell was telling people, don't worry, it'll never happen. They'll they'll fix that before it actually happens. So this entire enterprise was built on lies. So if they can't get health care down, uh, what next of their big promised projects here? Well, for a start, uh, and I'm not convinced health care is yet dead, but I let's <laughs> say uh, but let's say for the moment that it is and they're moving on. Well, for a start, they have prom- been promising huge tax cuts. They call it tax reform. More on that in a moment. Um, but first, they need to pass a budget or the government will shut down by the end of September. So how is that going? Is that going any better than their promise to repeal and replace Obamacare when they couldn't even get the two different sides of their caucus, the, the, the far right and the let's call them moderates to come together even among themselves? Well, on this budget to avoid a shutdown, things are not looking good. The Hill reports that members of the Freedom Caucus are withholding support for the House GOP budget as lawmakers prepare for a committee vote. Conservatives in the Freedom Caucus, formerly the Tea Party Caucus, until that name became too embarrassing, those conservatives would not have the votes to block approval of the budget by the House Budget Committee, but their opposition could sink the measure on final passage by the full House. This is over in the House of Representatives. The Freedom Caucus members are pressing for double the budget's $200 billion currently in uh, in proposed cuts, and they want details on a coming tax reform package. Good luck with that. Uh, the budget itself has little importance in setting actual spending limits for the government, according to the Hill, but it is highly important in setting up the rules for tax reform. In terms of tax reform, the caucus wants to ensure that it will not be revenue neutral. This is the Freedom Caucus. Um, they want to make sure that uh, it will be a tax cut not just revenue neutral, and uh, this is uh, may put them in line with a fight with House Speaker Paul Ryan. Again, all within the Republican side. They cannot agree on anything on their side. The budget would propose spending billions more on both defense and non-defense discretionary spending than Trump has proposed in his own budget. Uh, hundreds of billions more, in fact. It also um, cuts roughly $200 billion in mandatory spending from programs such as temporary assistance for needy families and supplemental nutrition assistance program, otherwise known as food stamps. Well, you know, all those freeloader children. Who need food. Who need food. House, the House Freedom Caucus is not interested in feeding hungry children. So they can only afford to lose 22 members in that House vote. Um, There is, uh, I think, at least that many already in the Freedom Caucus. And at the same time, they're getting pressure from (laughs) from the other side of that caucus in the uh, in the House, the so-called Tuesday group, which is more centrist members of the Republican Party who are not keen on backing a budget with these cuts that are that steep. In late June, 20 Tuesday group members signed a letter objecting to using uh, a budget resolution to carry out these huge spending cuts, and they're demanding a bipartisan approach 
If they had listened to them in the U.S. Senate, a bipartisan approach, they may have fixed the problems with Obamacare by now. But their letter said that absent such a bipartisan bicameral agreement, we are reticent to support any budget resolution on the House floor. So once again, you've got the conservatives in the Republican Party facing off against the moderates in the Republican Party. Add to that the Republican Study Committee, another caucus, which includes the majority of House GOP members. They are, they're going to have their own budget proposal that they are unveiling this Thursday. It would recommend eliminating, I uh, like this, a budget gimmick that, gimmick that allows billions in defense spending outside of the budget caps. This is the uh, $65 billion in the so-called Overseas Contingency Operations Fund. Basically, it's our war fund. And they're not including it in the caps uh, for spending for defense and so forth. That's just outside. Yeah, it's kind of like a a petty cash fund of $65 billion. Exactly right. Um, And so uh, Congress must approve this legislation to fund the government before the end of September in order to prevent a shutdown. How do you think that's going to work out? Hmm. What could possibly go wrong? All right, one more point here before we get to a break. Uh, on that uh, tax, on those, that ta- those tax cuts that I mentioned, on that plan, that's the other big signature thing, right? They're going to uh, repeal and replace Obamacare. They're going to do major tax reform. Well, that ain't very popular either, at least among Americans, at least if you care about that. In an ominous sign for lawmakers working to reach a consensus with the administration, 62% of poll respondents said they do not support Trump's proposal for tax cuts. Just 24% said they backed it. Even among Republicans, they are evenly split, with uh, 41 to a nearly identical 40% in favor. According to the Politico Harvard uh, T.H. Chan School of Public Health survey out this week, Democrats, of course, are overwhelmingly against the plan with 85 percent opposed. And so are independents. They are opposed by 60 percent. But even the Republican uh, caucus of voters, the Republican voters, even they are nearly split on this one. Even they can't come together to agree that this, these huge tax cuts they're talking about putting in place, mostly for rich people, you'll be stunned to know. Um, even they uh, don't agree. Just 34% of respondents, 34%, said they believed that the uh, Donald Trump tax cut plan would help the economy. 62% see the Trump plan uh, maybe helping job creation. Um, But that is only of Republicans. So very bad numbers for that. Things don't appear as if they're going to be getting much better for Republicans. I guess that's a good thing. But once again, uh, it's not because of the Democrats. It's because of you. It's because of you calling and writing and showing up at town halls and showing up at congressman's office making your voices known, that so far is what is saving America. All right, coming up next, uh, the latest news on how our electoral system continues, yes, to be undermined from both the outside and from within. That story's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. We rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. This is the Bradcast. Welcome back to it. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will never tell you anything good on this show. <laughs> that is not true. No, I know it is not true. It just seems like it lately, doesn't it? Yes, uh, so yes. uh, we will uh, start with here, and this is not good. Nearly 3,500 voters. 3,500 voters in Colorado as of Friday have canceled their voter registrations over the state's decision to turn over public information to Donald Trump's so-called Election Integrity Commission, which The Hill, in its report here, correctly describes as a voter fraud commission. Good. They'd be more accurate I if mean, they called it. I mean, good for The Hill to yeah, call it the voter fraud commission. Not good for all those people to cancel the registrations. I mean, that's voter suppression by accident. They would uh, be more accurate to call it a fraudulent voter fraud commission. Uh, but so be it. At least they called it a voter uh, fraud commission. We had told you last week about the efforts by Colorado election officials around the state begging uh, folks to not deregister, to not unregister themselves after fears that the uh, Trump commission here, headed up by voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach, the Kansas uh, Secretary of State, would make their personal information like name, address, birth date, Social Security number, that he would make that information public as he had promised to do. In his letter to all 50 states seeking voter registration information and all of that private uh, data, there was such blowback from the states that as of the weekend, the commission announced they were halting their request entirely for that data. So there's some good news. See? Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, you're right. They scared the hell out of legitimate voters who fear their uh, identity may be open now to theft. So they want to unregister. Um, and there's good reason for that. Uh, last week, the White House posted some of the email comments that have been coming in from the public decrying Kobach's effort on this voter fraud commission. But in the bargain, when the White House posted this, uh, these emails, they failed to redact personal information from them, like email addresses and names and phone numbers. I think there was even some Social Security numbers yeah. in those uh, emails that they released on the White House website. So already this commission has proven that they cannot be trusted with uh, with personal data. I mean, the incompetence is staggering. And now thousands of Colorado voters have withdrawn their registrations since uh, since this all happened, citing distrust of the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity, as it's officially named, according to the uh, according to the Denver Post. Uh, the uh, the June request from the commission has a lot of states up in arms. Most have happily now refused to hand over parts or all of that data requested by the commission. You remember famously uh, Mississippi Secretary of State, a Republican, uh, Delbert Hoseman, said uh, his reply would be they can go jump in the Gulf of Mexico 
And afterwards, uh, Commission uh, Chairman Chris Kobach fired back against those states, asking, what did they have to hide? He said, frankly, if a state like Kentucky or California, which both have Democratic secretaries of states, uh, if they won't provide available information, one has to ask, why not? Kobach said, suggesting that they were hiding something. Um, actually, he didn't suggest it. He said it right out. He said, what are they trying to hide if they don't want a presidential advisory commission to study their state's voter rolls? Um, but, you know, it's not just Kentucky or California. It's, you know, Mississippi run by Republicans, Georgia run by Republicans, other states run by Republicans. Trump tweeted a similar question after a Kobach statement uh, about uh, what are they trying to hide? Well, they're not trying to hide anything. They don't trust you, Chris Kobach, to handle responsibly their data. And you've already proved you are not to be trusted, not only by publishing that email, but also when you were fined by a federal court for misleading the court in another case in which you are trying to suppress the vote in the state of Kansas. You were fined for misleading the court a thousand dollars. And uh, that's not the only reason they should distrust you. The day after Donald Trump was elected president, according to Washington Post, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who is now the vice chair of Trump's Commission on Voter Fraud, told Trump's transition team of, of a proposal to change federal law to allow stricter requirements for voter registration. Kobach's team was putting together information on legislation drafts for submission to Congress early in the administration. Kobach wrote to transition team members in an email. He said, I have already started regarding amendments to the National Voter Registration Act to make clear that proof of citizenship requirements are permitted based on my ongoing litigation with the ACLU over this. Now, of course, to date, Kobach has lost every single motion in his ongoing litigation with the ACLU over this. In fact, he put in a proof of uh, proof of citizenship uh, requirement in the state of Kansas, and that's why ACLU has been uh, has been challenging, challenging him in court and has been winning. And that is why they asked for these emails that uh, the ACLU has now released. This is part of the lawsuit that they have against uh, Kobach. These emails were first published by the Huffington Post, um, amending the uh, NVRA, the National Voter Registration Act, in this manner, according to Wendy Weiser of the NYU uh, Brennan Center for Justice, means that every time legal obstacles to restricting the voting have been lifted in recent years, We've seen substantial spikes in efforts to restrict the vote. She's talking about lifting the restrictions um, to, 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 to lifting uh, the, the Voting Rights Act and to removing that requirement by states to get federal preclearance, federal approval for voting laws in states that have a history of discrimination. So every time they do that, these states rush in and they put in these rules. And that's what they're trying to do, these restrictions. And that's what Kansas is trying to do to require proof of citizenship. And the result has been that thousands of voters are unable to vote now because they don't meet the new restrictions. And these are legitimate voters, but they don't meet the restrictions put in place by Chris Kobach, who is pretending 
there was a huge voter fraud epidemic. Well, now we have these emails telling us that, yes, in fact, this is what he was meeting with transition officials about. This is what he was meeting with Donald Trump about in that famous picture of him uh, going to meet with new uh, with uh, Donald Trump, I think, in New Jersey during the transition. Yes. And he had that little folder in his hand. Such such security he had there. He had, it was widely available. You could you could zoom in and see exactly what was on all those documents. Exactly, and what was on that the, the top of that document was uh, a note about his plans to amend the National Voter Registration Act. That's how we know about it, because that's how good he is at security. <laughs> Man, um, by the way, just so you know, that uh, Washington Post, their wonk blog here details, once again, I'll just run through some of these quickly to give you an idea, the extensive investigations by state election officials in Republican and Democratic states alike have found that non-citizen voting is almost just vanishingly rare. Votes by non-citizens account for between 0.0003% and 0.001% of all votes, according to the uh, anal- analysis by the Brennan Center, which is a nonpartisan think tank who works to expand voting access. Um, so uh, this is incredibly rare in Kansas. Nonetheless, thousands of voter registrations have been refused or have been put on hold because of the failure to provide proper documentation under COBOX Act requiring these uh, these appro- this proof of citizenship documentation. This extra hurdle that people have to go through in order to be able to even just register to vote. Correct. And it was the ACLU's lawsuit against all of that that is ongoing in which Kobach uh, was photographed with that document and the ACLU said we would like information on what he was holding in his hands because it seems to have something to do with this lawsuit. And Kobach misled the court and said, no, it's got nothing to do with it. And now we know that, of course, it did. And that's why he was fined $1,000 by the federal court for misleading them. Critics of Kobach say that the uh, that these emails uh, prove that the Voter Fraud Commission is aiming to restrict voting access regardless of any findings that they may make, that their purpose is really just to come up with reasons to to restrict voting access. Justin Levitt, the uh, election expert at Loyola, uh, Loyola School of Law and former Justice Department voting rights attorney and a guest on this show multiple times, said I won't be shocked as more proof emerges that the cake is already baked in that regard. But as to the real concerns about actual election integrity, Trump's commission could not seem to be less interested. That is, in the ability for the public to oversee its own elections and know that the reported results are accurate. Right now, they can't know that. And as I've been driving you crazy warning about for some 15 years now, Long before the general public began to realize, oh, yeah, you know what? Our elections could be hacked by foreign powers. That only took 15 years of your time to get people to finally realize. Or by domestic hackers or by election insiders. Yes, it only took 15 years and they're only barely sort of uh, starting to kind of notice that our elections remain unbelievably insecure and vulnerable to manipulation. And this matters. This doubt me. Check out this report from The Wall Street Journal over the weekend regarding South Carolina. 
This is just uh, amazing. Uh, here's how it starts. To understand the scale of the hacking attempts against election systems in the 2016 presidential elections, consider South Carolina. On election day alone, there were nearly 150,000 attempts to penetrate the state's voter registration system, according to a post-election report by the South Carolina State Election Commission. 150,000 attempts on Election Day alone. And as the Wall Street Journal notes, South Carolina wasn't even a competitive state. If hackers were that persistent, they say, against a state that Donald Trump won comfortably, it suggests that hackers may have targeted political swing states even more. In harder-fought Illinois, for instance, hackers were hitting the state board of elections five times per second, 24 hours a day. From late August of, uh, from late June, I'm sorry, from late June until August of 2016. Uh, this is according to a, a report by the state's computer staff. Hackers ultimately accessed approximately 90,000 voter records. Unlike in Illinois, however, South Carolina didn't see evidence that any attempted penetration succeeded. According to Chris Whitmire, the state's election commission's uh, uh, director of public information and training last week. But, of course, they use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in South Carolina. So, of course, they did not see any evidence that any attempted penetration conceded because they didn't even bother to check for potential hacking or insider manipulation. And, by the way, neither did the Department of Homeland Security, who has... Uh, who has joined others in the U.S. intelligence community in charging that Russia has attempted to hack and manipulate our elections last year. But DHS was also forced to admit recently that they never checked a single voting machine or a single tabulator or even a single vote to make sure that our electronic voting and tabulation systems had not been manipulated in some fashion by anyone. Whitmire of uh, South Carolina goes on to say security has been a top priority for the state election commission since implementing the statewide voting system in 2004. Of course, he's just kidding because it's South Carolina and it's impossible to know if any votes cast there on their machines were actually accurately recorded. Hackers were at work months before some of their targets uh, and the American public knew According to uh, um, to the Wall Street Journal here, the hackers were working before the American public knew. Well, you would have known because we did tell you last year early on during the election cycle right here on the broadcast. But, you know, why pay attention to us? Uh, e even though we did warn you about both that and that Donald Trump was likely to do well last year <laughs> when everyone else thought it was impossible for him to, to win. So, yes, always pay attention to the broadcast. One of your lessons here. Um the, uh, we know about what happened here in South Carolina, once again, because of the people, once again, because of oversight by the people, people attempting to figure out what the hell happened in last year's election. Um, on September 6th of last year, Marcy Andino, the state's executive director for elections, requested assistance from the DHS, according to emails in documents provided to The Wall Street Journal by Frank Heindel. Remember him? We've had him on this show over the years as well. He's, yeah. an, he's an activist uh, who has advocated for improving South Carolina's election security for nearly a decade, says the Wall Street Journal. By the way, he's also a Republican. 
We've had him on this show over the years. Uh, he's a great election integrity advocate. I would say he is a hero in South Carolina, in fact, and uh, proving once again the importance of public oversight. Uh, we only know about what happened in South Carolina thanks to Frank Heindel getting this information out and making it public. Um, this gets uh, much worse. I'll point you to the Wall Street Journal. South Carolina may prove a microcosm of U.S. election hacking efforts. Um, I'll, I'll point you over there for more for now, um, because with 150,000 attempted hacks on South Carolina on Election Day alone. And as I said, we don't know if any of them were actually successful uh, because of the system they use and because we don't bother to check. Imagine all of the other attacks out there on all of the other states that were much more competitive. And so this is why I continue to fight for oversight of our elections via publicly hand-counted, hand-marked paper ballots, which is the best and most secure form of vote counting that the world knows of. But in the meantime, there is just one federal agency tasked with actually overseeing our nation's electronic voting systems. And guess what? The Republicans are trying to shut it down entirely. And guess what else? It also got hacked last year. That's the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. And yes, they were hacked last December. We told you a little bit about that um, a couple of weeks ago or months ago, um, but uh, it was more successful than we had thought, according to um, a, a different new report late last night from The Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal says that hack appeared to include a breach of the EAC's, uh, the Election Assistance Commission's, administrative access credentials, as well as access to non-public reports on flaws in voting machines, according to an, an, an analyst with cybersecurity firm Recorded Future. Access to the reports could have allowed someone to exploit flaws in voting machines. The analyst said the stolen credentials, and they did succeed in stealing these credentials from the EAC, the group that is supposed to oversee electronic voting systems in our country. The stolen credentials could have been used to install malicious code on the EAC site, thus potentially infecting any user of that site. The user could include state election officials who might then use a thumb memory stick to interact with other machines, such as ballot machines not connected to the Internet. And they always talk about these machines as if they're not connected. They are connected. Every voting system, every voting tabulator, no matter what you are told when they say they are not connected to the Internet, they are connected to the Internet because they are programmed with these memory cards. And if a memory card goes into a program that a state, a, a computer that a state election official is using to program the ballot, program the the uh, voting machine, program the voting tabulator, then it gets infected and it passes that infection on to the tabulator. It's like sharing a needle when you stick that memory card into your computer that you're programming with and then you put it into the actual voting machine. When they tell you these machines are not connected to the Internet, they are lying. The security firm which ass assessed the hack uh, as having likely occurred in November at the EAC turned the information over to law enforcement back in December. The analyst has been cooperating with the FBI on that probe. Rick Hassan 
the uh, election law uh, attorney at UC Irvine uh, cited the Wall Street Journal's report and cited the fact that House Republicans are now trying to shut down the EAC, saying it's hard to imagine a worse idea. He wrote on Sunday, House Republicans are moving to abolish the United States Elections Assistance Commission, a bipartisan federal agency that serves as a clearinghouse for information about best voting practices and certifies the security of voting machines. Does that sound like a good idea right now, he asks? And I don't care for the EAC. They're corrupt and they do a terrible job, as we have exposed at Bradblog.com for years. They are terrible. Still, you're going to do away with the only uh, federal agency that actually works on standards and oversights of electronic voting systems? Are we insane? Answer, yes, we are insane. A quick break, and we are back with the uh, latest insane Green News report and insane Desi Doyen right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly hot enough here. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, I, I uh, you know, I, I hate having to keep going over these issues over and over again, and but they keep getting worse and worse and worse. 150,000 attempts on a single day on election day in uh, South Carolina to, to hack South Carolina's system and the Election Assistance Commission itself being hacked. And yet, you know, we keep pretending that, oh, it's OK. These uh, county clerks, they'll be able to handle this. They'll be able to ward off any such threats. That's just not the case. But the thing is, we never know. We never know. It's months later. It's after these Freedom of Information Act requests that, you know, that we even find out and only sometimes about some of this stuff. That's why I continue to call for, you know, oversight of our elections with hand counted paper ballots. Uh, the rest of the world seems to have figured that out. Uh, I had some other stories on that. I know we're going to I've been trying to get to uh, Ernie Canning. He wrote a story on on the Chica uh, the Chicago, the Georgia election, the June 20 election, and what we have known for 15 years about those systems that they used on that U.S. House special election last month. 
We keep trying to get to him and it. Hopefully uh, uh, later this week. We had to, you know, so much breaking news. We keep putting that off, but we will get to it. And yes, I will continue to drive you crazy because nothing else matters. Frankly, if you don't have elections, if you don't have democracy, then all of these other problems that we're trying to deal with don't get dealt with. And that brings us, uh, <laughs> as you might imagine. To our latest Green News report. This happened so quickly, uh, crews um, had no opportunity to really fight the fire. Raging wildfires in British Columbia forced nearly 40,000 to evacuate. Trump administration reduces royalty payments on offshore drilling. Energy Department's electric grid study contradicts claims by the energy secretary. Plus... Clean air, clean water, clean soil, that's where we get our food. It is what we live from. Catholic nuns build outdoor chapel to block natural gas pipeline. They're having none of it. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We have nearly 100 years worth of natural gas and more than 250 years worth of clean beautiful coal and several million years of actually clean actually beautiful sunshine which you would know mr president if you looked up every now and again from your meetings with the fossil fuel industry this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, I don't know that this could possibly be a good omen, but I see that Tropical Storm Don is now forming in the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) Yes, it is. That can't be good. The National Hurricane Center announced Monday that Tropical Storm Don has formed in the Atlantic Ocean. It's not Donald, but Don. Hurricane names for the 2017 season were set way back in 2006, so it's only a coincidence that the name is similar to the current occupant of the White House. That won't keep him from going after the National Weather Service, however, if Tropical Storm Don becomes Hurricane Don and wipes out the East Coast. Well, that seems unlikely. The Hurricane Center says so far, Tropical Storm Dawn is small and not particularly well organized. (laughs) They didn't really say that, did they? Yes, they did. Oh, man. What else do you have for us today that is less ironic? In Canada. All gone. Yeah, it's all gone, eh? Just one year after catastrophic wildfires destroyed much of the town of Fort McMurray in Alberta's Tar Sands region, now next door in British Columbia, more than 36,000 people were evacuated on Sunday to escape wildfires driven by heat and high winds that have already destroyed an as-yet-unknown number of homes in and around southern British Columbia. There are now 160 active wildfires in British Columbia alone right now, and wildfires over in Alberta have closed parts of Banff and Kootenay National Parks. Officials are warning it's shaping up to be yet another record wildfire season. And yet they continue to dig that dirty tar sands oil out of Alberta? Yes, they do. And it will soon be heading to the U.S. via the Keystone XL pipeline? Yes, it will. Fantastic. Bloomberg News has obtained a leaked draft of an electric grid reliability study that concludes that the rise of renewable energy does not undermine the reliability of our electric grid. It directly contradicts Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who ordered this study to question whether clean energy policies are unfairly pushing out polluting coal plants. The draft, written 
written by Department of Energy staff, concludes renewables pose no threat and, quote, the power system is even more reliable today. The question now is how much of that draft will survive changes made by political appointees. They can still change it before it gets released, but... Thanks to Bloomberg, we now know what the actual scientists think. The Interior Department announced its first offshore oil and gas lease sale, opening up more than 70 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico for offshore drilling. And to sweeten the deal, the Trump administration reduced royalty rates paid by oil and gas companies for fossil fuels extracted from the public's holdings, claiming that reduced royalty rates are needed to encourage drilling at a time of low oil prices and help developers get a better return on their investment. And help screw over the American taxpayer. But some good news. In the House of Representatives, 46 Republicans bucked their leadership last week and joined with Democrats to defeat an anti-science amendment to the annual defense authorization bill. It would have barred the Defense Department from reporting on the impacts of climate change on military facilities. So that is not barred. The military can still report on the menace of the climate crisis. Indeed. Good. Thanks to Republicans. Thank you, Republicans. Finally, in Pennsylvania, an order of Catholic nuns has built an outdoor chapel to block a natural gas pipeline across their land, saying the pipeline is a violation of their long and deeply held religious beliefs and reverence for creation. Pipeline company Williams is suing to use eminent domain to seize land owned by the Sisters of the Adorers of the Blood of Christ to use for the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline in order to export fracked natural gas overseas. In an interview with the broadcast, local Mennonite pastor Melinda Clatterbuck, a co-founder of the group Lancaster Against Pipelines, which has joined the nuns, said they will block them as long as they can. If they gain that land possession, the community of believers are going to be in that chapel prayerfully protesting when Williams tries to take it over. You go, ladies. I want to see the Trump administration take down those nuns in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Then I saw her face Now I'm a believer Me too. I'm a believer. I'm thinking of joining that uh, order of Catholic nuns in uh, Pen- Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen. I know you have uh, one quick follow-up here, an amusing-ish update uh, late today on Tropical Storm Dawn. Yeah, Tropical Storm Dawn is already falling apart in the Caribbean, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. But um, the National Hurricane Center also noted that, meanwhile, in the eastern Pacific Ocean... <laughs> A new tropical depression has formed, and if it strengthens, it could actually turn into Tropical Storm Hillary. Really? Really. Really? Really, 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 really. Not fake news? Not fake news. Okay. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Just (laughs) what we need. My thanks to you, our producer, and to uh, all of our listeners for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program... You can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, though we thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to fight this good fight. You can also drop me an email if you prefer. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Please find me, share me, 
and uh, share us worldwide. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.